Good day. This is your host, Charles Cook. I am uh, here today back with the Immigration Hour. I'm sorry, it's been about a, about almost four weeks. Um, you know, this whole corona thing's kind of caught us all off guard. As I said in my last podcast, I was on my way to Peru with my wife, as we are wont to do. We love Peru. We live there as uh, young adults. And we went down there for a visit with some friends, traveling around northern Peru and Ancash and Cajamarca, and just... Uh, we're really relatively isolated. We we kind of heard stuff that was going on. And, of course, I had my phone. I check in my emails every day, making sure the firm is not falling apart. But I noticed that every day there was just new things popping up and, and some concern about this this corona thing. And, of course, not that I believe literally anything Trump says, but the, the play down by uh, the minions um, around Trump were, you know, it was substantial. Uh, it turns out we were on the last plane out of Peru. Uh, we left on uh, Sunday morning early from Peru, and later that day, the Peruvian president, um, he uh, he got on the TV and said, hey, country's closed. <laughs> Boom. Country's closed. Nobody's leaving. Nobody's coming. And literally nobody, no new U.S. planes, uh, except for a few charter flights they've been able to secure, have left the country or have arrived. So we feel fortunate. In some ways, I feel fortunate that I'm back to deal with the crisis. In other ways, gosh, I wish I was back in Peru. <laughs> I love that place. Uh, of course, everybody's in, in their house under house arrest, basically down there. Military's in the streets. So there wouldn't be much to do. But um, it, it's good to be back. The, uh, of course, the Immigration Service has been literally running amok uh, for the last uh, really three weeks, but really the last two weeks doing running amok but doing nothing it's amazing how how that occurs i mean how can the government uh do so little in immigration and uh at the same time have such a big effect of course uh the the big thing right now perhaps more than anything uh is uh the fact that the immigration service is really not cutting anybody any slack um, really, they're, they're not cutting anybody any slack at all in the context of this virus. Now, okay, so they came out. What are they, let's, let's, let's take a brief synopsis of what C, C, USCIS did. This is the immigration era. What did CIS do? All right. Initially, they did nothing. Then they closed their offices for interviews. Uh, although they gave the impression to the entire world they were closed, which as immigration lawyers who listen to this know they're not closed, but they gave the impression they were closed, but really just not doing interviews. Uh, and that was it. Um, no suspension of deadlines, no nothing. Finally, um, after extraordinary pressure by the American Immigration Lawyers Association, including uh, a threat of a lawsuit, which we'll get to in a second against ICE and CBP, um, against USCIS, they extended by 60 days, the uh, necessity of responding to any uh, requests for evidence or noids that were issued, but after March 1 through May 1, which, of course, they're still working, still issuing requests for evidence, still issuing notice of intent to deny. Um, and so they extended for 60 days. But if you got your RFE or NOID before March 1, which let's say you got a February 28, that's not even due till June. They didn't extend that. If you got it in January, that's not due to the middle of March. Oh, they didn't extend that. 
Uh, they just extended the ones in those 60 days. And I met there's going to be plenty of people that miss that deadline because they think it's every case 60 days and it's not. And then yesterday they came out in a weirdly, really a weirdly worded uh, statement. Um, and they had this when they reconfirmed their 60 days. They then added this sentence. Any form I-290B received up to 60 calendar days from the date of decision will be considered by USAS before it takes any action. <clears throat> what does that mean? Does anybody have any idea what that means? Does that mean, oh, I can wait 60 days. I have 60 days from my denial of a case to file a 290B. Is that what that means? That's a jurisdictional issue, and you think they would be clear about that, because the jurisdiction is the 30 days plus 3 days, 30, 33 days from the filing requirement. Is that waived? Un unclear. Um, is it only talking about the brief that's due normally within 30 days, but they'll consider it up to 60? Uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and we haven't been able to get an answer. For, AILA hasn't been able to get an answer from the USCIS. Uh, maybe I'm just being dense, but I have to tell you, I would not rely on that um, when I was make, if I was making a decision by the, uh, for a client to respond to an appeal. I would definitely file the appeal. So, yeah, that's, that's it. That's really all they've done. Um, now, we do know that they apparently are now uh, uh, waiving interviews on employment-based cases, not because they announced anything, but because they are now asking for uh, uh, medical exams from individuals who uh, had... Um, uh, filed the adjustment of status without the medical and employment-based cases. They're asking for those and adjudicating the adjustments of status. So they they're apparently have now waived the extraordinarily useless and gigantic waste of time program instituted by uh, one of Miller's minions uh, to, uh, to interview everybody who's getting a green card. So thank goodness that stupid program at least temporarily has ended. So they did that. Um, nothing else. No, nothing else. Uh, we know the H-1B lottery. Congrats to all the lottery winners, you know, winners. So, um, winners, that's, uh, that's my New York Eves coming out. Uh, lottery winners. Uh, it looks like at least a 50% approval rate on the lottery, which would suggest that, uh, less than 180,000 applicants. So fewer applicants, uh, than previous years. Curious because this Corona thing hit literally, bam, smack dab in the middle of the program and just bam, just they slammed right into it. Um, what does that mean? Um, and uh, it looks like it resulted in a lot fewer applicants uh, getting put in uh, in the in that last week of March. I would love to see the week by week numbers for the lottery. And my guess is that a vast majority of the lottery applicants were put in, applications were put in in early March. And I'm going to guess that a very few in the last week, because the timing of this, uh, this Corona thing hitting us was just perfectly timed uh, to get employers not to file H-1Bs. Um, I mean, really, it was, it was really kind of stunning that that's the case. Um, so, uh, 
we've got that. That's all that USCIS has done. Which, of course, would you expect any more uh, than that? Uh, my guess is no. No, this is about from an administration that is hell-bent on deporting as many people as they can, on uh, limiting the number of people uh, who uh, can come legally to the United States and doing everything possible to narrow that down. Uh, yeah, that, that, this is about what I would, I would suspect. Um, now, the sad part is uh, asylum interviews are, which is sad. I mean, you have to do this, but asylum interviews are, are stopped for affirmative asylum cases. Um, and uh, it's just um, really uh, um, striking that they have not basically suspended every deadline. Now, you have to ask why. Why is CIS literally this terrible employer um, that makes people come to the office every day and work? And the answer is actually no. Um, the service center employees, many of them, many of the adjudicators, have worked from home for years. And in fact, as part of their most recent collective bargaining agreement, virtually all of them can work from home. Uh, and so the, they continue to do the same work. Now you're wondering, are they literally hauling the files to their house? Well, yeah, they were. Um, you know, guarding your client's files all over creation to get back home and work. Now many of these files are, uh, are of course, electronic and make for easier work-at-home options. Uh, but think about that. That is... Uh, uh, that is exactly uh, uh, what's going on. Um, so USCIS has made these um, made these minor changes, and I don't expect them to make any more. Uh, although we have asked and, and sent a letter to them uh, urging them to uh, make substantial changes to how they um, uh, how they run their outfit, I don't suspect that uh, we'll be seeing any of that anytime soon uh, from the immigration service. They're just, it's just not them. It's not just who they are. It's not their leadership style. And certainly not under the current administration, they're going to do anything to help immigrants. So that's USCIS. Thank you very much for virtually nothing. Uh, now, from an ICE perspective, uh, what has ICE been doing? Um, well, ICE... Um, at least initially said that they were suspending deportation flights, uh, um, but that turns out not to be true. Uh, they are actually uh, still uh, still doing that. This is March 17th. They announced that uh, flights of Hondurans and Salvadorans from the U.S. to Guatemala under the uh, under the ACA. This is the uh, the asylum uh, uh, tr treaty they forced Guatemala to sign. That ended, but um, it, it also said that the deportation, these, these are what we call deportation fights, have ended. But they're still deporting people, including at least one young man with corona that they deported to his home country. Nothing like spreading a little, uh, little disease and disaster in other countries uh, instead of treating the problem ourselves. Um, has ICE, uh, ICE also announced that they were suspending um, operations except as it pertained to, uh, you know, criminal aliens. And I love how they say that, criminal aliens. Well, it turns out that on March 17th, um, 
uh, or March 18th, ICE showed up at the home of a United States Army veteran who happened to have been a permanent resident of the United States. This is a Gulf War veteran uh, and uh, in, from the Army, and he had previously been granted 42A relief by an immigration judge. He uh, suffered extreme PTSD, and after his uh, service, uh, he ended up uh, being arrested and convicted of a crime that made him uh, deportable. And he um, uh, he ended up getting going to jail in in the early 2000s, but the immigration judge granted him relief from removal, and uh, he was granted for it to be. Unfortunately, uh, PTSD doesn't go away. Um, uh, without substantial treatment, and unfortunately, this uh, this individual uh, did not continue with the treatment that he was receiving, or really even have the opportunity uh, to have uh, to have the treatment um, effectively carried out for him. And uh, he ended up committing another crime. It was stupid, uh, but it did involve drugs. And uh, because it involved drugs, uh, he. Uh, um, back in 2007 so about four years four, five years after he's granted 42 relief he gets arrested pleads guilty and then nothing he doesn't even go to jail um the court of course sentences him to jail he doesn't serve any jail time and since 2007 he is married uh, uh he has cleaned up his life he's he's an overall good guy who still suffers uh from uh ptsd but um also has severe physical health challenges um, has um, um, a extreme case of diabetes. I showed up at his house at six o'clock in the morning on March 18th and uh, knocked on the door um, and then showed him a picture of somebody. Hey, do you know who this person is? And he goes, that's me. Would you step outside, sir? And he steps outside uh, as a good military guy would and they arrested him. They put him down on the ground and arrested him. Um, and uh, his wife came out. Of course, what, what are you doing to my husband? And, oh, ma'am, your husband's a threat. And they took him down to the Irwin Detention Center, where he's now been for almost two weeks. He has been extraordinarily mistreated down at the Irwin Detention Center. Uh, this morning, um, I received an email from his wife. Uh, she said, quote, I am concerned about my husband's health. On Friday, my husband began vomiting until he passed out. His cellmate begged the guards to help him and even got into an argument with the guard, with her. When they finally arrived to take him to medical, his blood sugar had dropped. He said that his heart races and he becomes disoriented at times. The doctor changed his medication dosages again, which is terrible for a diabetic. Uh, he has lost nine pounds in the 10 days he had been there. He's afraid they're going to kill him by changing his medication and not administering it as they should. At times, they give him insulin and then refuse to feed him for hours. They are throwing his body out of balance after he worked so hard to maintain his diabetes while he was at home. Um, I, and wife's very sweet. She says, I understand this takes time. Is there any way to make sure that while he is there, he is given food and medication regularly? I mean, really, we're asking ICE to give people food and medication regularly? That's, that's, and we're asking it politely? ICE, what the hell? I mean, really, what are you doing? This is, this is inhuman. It's inhuman what you're doing. And when we ask them to release him under a humanitarian grounds, he's not a flight risk. He's been living in the same house for 20 years. He's a U.S. 
Army veteran, for God's sakes, and he's still a permanent resident of the United States. And they said, no, he is a risk. He's a danger to the community because of his conviction for uh, drugs 15 years ago, during which time he's done nothing against the law. Yeah, that's who ICE is protecting us from. Where our bigger concern is, and eventually it will happen, that Irwin has a, has a corona case. And here's a man with compromised immune system, compromised health. He could easily die there. And yet, ICE blithely goes on as if nothing is wrong. Um, this, is, um, this is something that I, um, I'm just still stunned by. That uh, the only reason that ICE could really justify keeping him was because they have to pay for the bed anyway. They have a contract for X beds. We've got to pay for the bed anyway. They're not doing anything to help this guy. He's got to go through a removal hearing. Um, now, of course, he's not eligible for 42A relief again, but he, there are other things he may be eligible for. And the, the reality is uh, all we're doing is punishing him for something he's already been punished for and been freed of for the last 15 years. Um, so we, we, uh, we will probably be filing a habeas uh, for this man shortly to get him out of custody. It's just, it's, you know, why, why? Why do we have to waste our time and our clients' limited resources to do what should easily be done? ICE, really, this, uh, this is what you are forcing us to do. And is that really what you, that's your job? To force us to do stuff that you could easily enact your own policy and release them under safeguards? Put an ankle bracelet on them, for God's sakes. If you're really worried about him doing anything, tell him he's confined to his house. He's not going anywhere anyway. It's the corona time. He can't go out. Um, um, so, you know, that ICE has done that. Uh, what else has ICE done? Um, yeah, not much. We have ICE detainees in Jersey that have corona. And with the frequency with which ICE moves people around, this is only a matter of time before that spreads. Um, so ICE basically has done nothing. Uh, during this time to alleviate suffering uh, and continues to detain people uh, for things like driving without a license uh, here in Georgia that are picked up by um, a, uh, a equally, uh, 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 let's call them um, Javert-minded sheriff up in Gwinnett County, when we should all just be a little bit nicer to each other and maybe we could make this thing pass a little more calmly and we could have a justice system again. Take a quick break here on the immigration hour, and then we'll come back and talk about what the folks at EOIR are not doing. We'll be back in a second on the immigration hour. Welcome back to the uh, immigration hour. I know it's not a welcome back for you. You didn't go anywhere, but I did, um, and I had to take uh, take a look at something from our friends at EOIR. So uh, now we're looking at. Um, before I get to EOIR, though, Department of Labor made all kinds of accommodations uh, uh, for, uh, for the immigration part of their program. You know, did exactly what a rational government agency would. That's not under the control of Stephen, well, technically Stephen Miller, but, but Bob Barr. So now, now that we're out of DHS and we're in EOIR, we have to look at James McHenry, uh, former government trial attorney here in Atlanta, um, and now, somehow, director of the entire Executive Office of Immigration Review. Uh, how that happens, I'm still not quite sure. Um, but 
what has he done? Uh, he basically had to be shamed, literally shamed uh, on the Internet into closing um, some non-detained immigration courts, some, on March 18th. So that was, you know, a week after courts are shutting down or all over the country, EOIR finally decides, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to shut this down a little bit. But only seven places, Atlanta, Peachtree, Atlanta 180, Ted Turner still open, Charlotte, Houston, Gesner, not all of Houston, Louisville, Memphis, New York, Broadway, and Fed Plaza, but not, not Barrick Street, Newark, uh, but not the jail, Sacramento, Los Angeles, Olive Street, but not the detention center. Um, and they, they were basically tweeting out their decisions. They literally didn't have a web page. No way to update the public, even though they had every immigration lawyer's email in the whole country because of their database. So they're still, they were still tweeting out closures at, at their whim. So finally, uh, after a public shaming, the, uh, the non-detained courts were closed. But this, uh, this was not something uh, that, that stayed that way. Um, the, um, what we found... Uh, was in fact that the courts themselves were still open uh, and apparently they expected us to continue to file our briefs, our motions, uh, etc. with the courts, uh, including the Board of Immigration Appeals. And just last week, the court announced at midnight that they were opening the next day here in Atlanta for the filing of all the stuff that hadn't been able to be filed before they didn't suspend any deadlines, uh, they still haven't suspended any deadlines. By the way, no deadlines are suspended, even though they are in actual real courts around the country. But in the fake court that is the EOIR, they're not suspended. Uh, and um, the court then also said, "Oh, by the way, uh, starting la a week ago Monday, it's only a week ago. I know this sounds. You may remember this thinking this is ages ago." Ages ago. No, no, this is only a week ago. And they said uh, under their guidance that to go to court, you have to wear protective gear. You have to bring in your own masks. You have to bring in your own goggles. You have to bring in your own gloves. Otherwise, you will not be allowed in person at, at your immigration court hearing, the courts that were still open. This despite the fact that not only has AILA National, but the Immigration Judges Union and the ICE Attorney Union, which I didn't even know existed, um, and why aren't they doing more, by the way, demanded that the court close down um, all 68 courts when at the time last Monday they had literally only closed 11. Um, Mr. McHenry, what are you doing? Do you really care that little about the health of your employees? I will tell you, if I was an immigration judge, God forbid, I wouldn't go to work. I would, I would, I would call it a blackout. Say the robe, the robes will not be present. Um, it just there is nothing that you do as an immigration judge that you can't do remotely as a judge too. Um, but instead, you make us go to these detention centers where you're still having hearings, where the judges are, where the detainees are, and to courts like 180 Ted Turner, this is the downtown immigration court, uh, for detainees, for what?
to go in a building where we don't control access so we can bring home possible COVID to our family? No, this is just talk about losing your way to have to wear your your own protective gear. And, and they want you to take protective gear. This is the best part. Take that protective gear from take that from people who need it. Doctors and hospitals. Um, really just uh, a stunning. Uh, I, I mean, talk about being completely tone deaf. Completely tone deaf. That's exactly what they were. Completely tone deaf. Now, uh, my partner then, of course, posted a picture. There's an article in the Atlanta Journal Constitution about that. And, um, but uh, of her wearing her mask and her gloves, and uh, other people put their goggles on to go into immigration court. It makes no sense that this happened, none whatsoever. It's just irresponsible. And against our national interest. Now, bond hearings? Well, the reality is ICE, and ICE has been, I'll give them credit for this, they have been reducing bonds to actual manageable levels for many people. But they haven't done enough. They're still detaining way too many people that they don't, they could release everybody. We know ICE could literally release everybody. Not that they want them to release everybody. There's some people, okay, should be processed. I get that. Bond hearings need to be held if ICE continues to be unreasonable. But if ICE would just be reasonable and say, we're going to give you no bond for this, which they do frequently, we're going to put you on an ankle monitor, okay. We're going to put you on a defensive call-in, okay. That's, those are all cheaper. But ICE is required to pay for something like 37,000 beds a night. Congress could have suspended that. Now, you know, Congress, you could have done this. You could have suspended a number of beds that could be held, uh, uh, required to be filled by ICE. They didn't do that either. So Congress shares blame here, too. But this is um, this is where EOIR could be acting like a real court, but simply is not doing so. Um, and uh, shame on them. Now, they did announce again last night, last night. Um, that all hearings are canceled through all the non-detained hearings, hearings are canceled through May 1. That means master calendar and merit hearings. But that does not mean the deadlines are suspended. So you still have docs due, documents are still due. You still have a brief due, brief is still due. Um, and uh, this is just, uh, uh, this is just crazy. Absolutely just crazy. Um, and um, it's funny, at least uh, one of the tweets that um, uh, that came out from EOIR has been deleted, um, uh, a status page, um, uh, an update. And I tweeted out to him, he's found a way to well and truly screw as many immigrants as possible, while at the same time eviscerating the Constitution, a twofer. Um, and uh, that tweet was deleted by EOIR. Now, I didn't think the EOIR was allowed to tweet, to delete tweets. Uh, they, so now they are also violating uh, the Records Act. Uh, thank you, EOIR, um, for doing that. Um, really just stunning. Uh, this is where they were going to reissue it last Tuesday, a week ago today, where they reopened the court uh, and uh, began their own little star chamber, apparently. And they said this. This is great. Uh, Circe Owen, who is the assistant chief counsel, issued this order that if you don't come to court, that's the chief counsel, the chief, the chief immigration judge, 
Um, another person that got promoted that shouldn't have been promoted, in my opinion. Uh, she tweeted this in, a, in her order that if you don't show up to court, you waive your right to object to the evidence submitted by the government. What? What? That is insane. Insane. Why would any normal, rational lawyer think that would in any way be constitutional? And when anyway pass muster, well, that tweet was deleted by EOIR. We'll have to do an open records request for that one to get that one back. Uh, hey, EOIR, you cannot delete your tweets. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Um, and uh, so EOIR uh, now closed for non-detained hearings through May 1. Now, as, as a law firm, we do a lot of work in immigration court, uh, on any given day, we have three to four to ten hearings uh, on immigration court and um, lots of merit hearings. We have one client who is scheduled for a merit hearing, been waiting seven years for a merit hearing next week, canceled, which I get. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, but think about when all these cases will be reset. When is that going to happen? When is that going to happen? Uh, you're talking about really years of resetting, re re years of resetting um, of these cases. Uh, so people, you know, I, I don't know if Trump's going to get reelected or not. I mean, obviously, I have my opinions on that, which you all know and understand. But think about this. If if these cases are reset out for four or five years, ICE is continuing to put people in detention. Um, that's still happening. So ICE is still doing their job, so to speak. I would suspect that we'll see maybe by the end of this month, 1.2, 1.3 million by the end of the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis, maybe at the end of May, we'll see 1.3, 1.4 million cases in the backlog. Uh, uh, Trump won't be the deportation president like Obama was. He will be the deportation proceedings president. Um, and, uh, there's really no way I think to avoid, uh, that, uh, that, that from happening going forward. So those are all the crazy things that have been happening at EOIR. Now, shout out to Ayla. Ayla sued ICE and EOIR yesterday. Woohoo. Good job, Ayla, along with other partners, uh, in the, uh, in the field. And, um, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is great. Uh, now, I don't know if we'll win, but it sends the message that, you know, we're not going to just sit back and take this garbage anymore. Um, if you're not going to do the right thing, we're going to force you to do the right thing. And if a federal court judge says, no, you can keep doing what you're doing. Well, then a federal court judge says that you've got them back up. But it's, and, and you have backup for doing what is not right. That's what you have backup for. Uh, and uh, if you were doing the right thing then you wouldn't have to be worried about this stuff. Um, so that's it for this week here on the Immigration Hour. Kind of a rant. I was just, you know, you, you, interestingly enough, our office, we live in a state which is not quarantined, uh, Georgia, um, and our city um, has an essential services clause. And, of course, if USCIS is open, we have to be open. Uh, so we have minimal staff at the office, including yours truly, um, to get documents from people, to make copies, 
uh, to get uh, our, our work done and filed with the USCIS. Uh, so really, by the courts and ICE and CIS simply just saying, you know what, we're going to shut this down for a month. We're just going to shut it down, and we're going to reset every deadline by a month, just automatically across the board. You get an extra month, you get an extra two months period, then we'll be back online, and then everybody can go home, and we can beat this COVID thing. But no, they force people, including lawyers, to put ourselves in harm way, harm's way to pursue their agenda, which is deportation at all costs. Shame on you guys. Shame. We will, when, when Trump is gone, and trust me, he will be gone eventually, whether it's in, in January or in four years in January, he will be gone. We will not forget. We will not forget who facilitated this. We will not forget what you have done. And we will hold it against you in your future careers. Just understand that. When you join sides with people who do what's not right, just understand there's a price that you will eventually pay for that. This is your host, Charles Cook, here on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Uh, talk to you later. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.